I'd like to talk this morning about hope in the darkness. O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel that mourns in lonely exile here. Do you recognize that Advent hymn? A very old Latin hymn from about the 8th century translated for us. A hymn that expresses lament, expresses longing, expresses yearning. Israel in exile, that time in about the 5th, 6th century BC when many of the children of Israel were taken off to captivity in Babylon. So it's referring back to that time of, of lamenting the terrible plight that they were in, but still looking forward with hope in the darkness to the promises of God for the future. Longing. Do we have a longing? A yearning? What do you have a longing or a yearning for? I don't know, maybe for many of us, all of us, it's a longing, Lord, when will this COVID situation finally be over? Yeah? Or it may be something very specific and personal to you, a, a longing, a yearning, a sense of, Lord, this darkness here, how do I know your hope in the darkness? Maggie and I, we have a, a longing to see our daughter and granddaughter again, who we haven't seen for two and a half years because they live in America. And we, we haven't been able to go there and they haven't been able to come here. We have a longing, a yearning to see them. We're booked on flights for Tuesday week. But who knows what will happen in between? <laughs> Something about, Lord, how long? And the Israelites were in that situation in that exile time in Babylon. One of the, if not the most poignant psalms in, in the Bible begins like this. Beside the rivers of Babylon, we sat and wept as we thought of Jerusalem. Remembering the times in their homeland and as the people of God worshipping in the temple, that glorious house of God that had now been destroyed, the nation defeated and many people taken off in captivity, and they sat and wept beside the rivers of Babylon. Now this today is the second Sunday in Advent, that period in the Christian church calendar, to the nativity, Christ's birth. So we look back and celebrate, but it also means, and always has done in the Christian church, the time when we specifically look forward as well to Christ's return, 
So not just his arrival, his coming back then, but his coming in the future, his second coming, his return this morning. Expecting the king to come. Now, of course, in our expectation, it's not just historical or future. It's present. Come now, Lord Jesus, by your spirit, that we may truly experience your presence even before you return in glory and person to rule on the earth and for us to rule with you as well. So we live in between the times, between the time of Christ's first coming and the event of his second coming. We live in that interim waiting time. And God gives us hope in the darkness. By hope, I mean this. This is my definition of hope in a scriptural sense. A confident expectation that God will fulfill his promises. Shall I say that again? Take it on board. A confident expectation that God will fulfill his promises. We've heard the theme promises coming through in our meeting, through a contribution, through a song, through, and so on. It is absolutely essential. We're not just hoping in the sense of, well, I hope it'll happen. Like, I hope saints won't get relegated this season, that sort of thing. Sorry, Phil. It's much more confident than that, Phil. <laughs> Jesus definitely will return, but saints might be relegated. I'm sure they won't be. Well, actually, I'm not sure they won't be. I'm straying from my point. Hope is a confident expectation that God will fulfill his promises. Amen? So the question is, what's God promised? Because how do you build your hope on something if you don't know what it is? Thank you, Dick, for, for calling us back to the scriptures. Because that's how we know what God's promised. It's not a feeling. It's not a memory. It's a revelation from God, his word. I can only put my faith in what God has said, not just in what I would like to happen. So what has God said? We will only know what God has said if we're listening. Listen to him. And we listen to him in many ways, but primarily, I would say, or well, one of the primary ways, is through his word which he has already given to us. And therefore we need to read it. And we need to need it, read it regularly and carefully. And don't worry about the bits you don't get. There's plenty there that you will get that God will give you as a promise. Both for you personally, but also, bigger than that, for us, the people of God. And for the world to come. It, it, it's all-encompassing, the kingdom of God. And from the very outset, God made promises through the Old Testament to his people. So just buckle up for, 
five minutes or so. Right, are you ready? I'm going to take you through some Old Testament promises quite quickly. <laughs> quickly, me? Yeah. Okay, as quickly as I can manage. First of all, Genesis 3. God promised, even then, a Savior. At the fall, when Adam and Eve disobeyed God, and God confronted them and confronted the serpent, the accuser, the enemy, Satan himself, and cursed the serpent and said, from Eve's offspring will come one who will bruise your head and he will bruise your, he will strike your heel. The offspring of Eve, the savior to come, Jesus, will bruise the head of Satan, destroying him. But in the process, Jesus' heel will be struck. He will be wounded. He will suffer. He will have to go through, as we know, the cross and all that was associated with it. There is a very clear, if somewhat, uh, 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 I was going to say clear but vague, it can't be both, can it? Um, a shadowy but, but, a, but a, a definite reference to a savior to come, a promise for a savior. God promised blessing for the world as time goes on. We come to the time of Abraham. And as you know, many of you, God promised this amazing thing to Abraham and to his seed, to the generations after him in his line, that through him, all the families of the earth will be blessed. So the whole world will be blessed somehow through Abraham and his line. He promises a savior in Genesis 3. He promises blessing to the world through Abraham and his line. And that's Abraham lived around about 2,000 years before Christ. Then we move on. Abraham's great-grandson, one of them, the 12 sons of Jacob, one of them was Judah. And when Jacob was just coming up to the time of his death, he, he called all his sons together. And you can read it there in Genesis 49. And he spoke to each one of the 12 sons prophetically to bless them and to speak the word of God over them and to Judah, not to the firstborn, but just one of the 12, Judah for some reason. Well, God was revealing this to him and through him. Jacob singled out Judah and promised a king through Judah's line. These are the words that Jacob said. Genesis 49 verse 10, the scepter, that symbol of kingship, the scepter will not depart from Judah until the coming of the one to whom it belongs, the one whom all nations will honor. You see the promise coming through? We look back and see its fulfillment in Jesus. Back then, would Jacob have even understood what he's saying? Would Judah have understood? But, but a promise is made that says, through your line. There will be a kingly rule. A king will come. Not just any old king, but the king whom all nations will honor. We're talking about a bigger figure than a local monarch. And of course, Judah was the tribe and line through which ultimately King David came. David was of the line of Judah. Judah. 
and David lived about 1,000 years before Christ. Abraham, 2,000 years. King David, 1,000 years, give or take. And in David's time, this, this man whom God chose quite sovereignly out of all the sons uh, of, of Jesse, God, God led Samuel to anoint David, a man after his, his own heart, he's described, after God's heart. And to David, he promised another promise. David, through you and your line, I promise, God says, an eternal kingdom. So we've gone from savior to blessing for the world to a king from Judah's line to an eternal kingdom in David's line. For example, in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 16, we read this, this word of God to David. Your house and your kingdom will continue before me for all time, and your throne will be secure forever. So you think, well, that's it. It's all settled. David has been chosen by God, and from then on, it will all be sweetness and light. There will be a kingdom forever that will remain secure in the land of Israel and bring blessing to the whole world. End of story. Oh, if only. But we live in a broken, dark world where people mess it up. No matter what the promises of God are, they are all yes and amen in Christ. <laughs> we sang that. But do you know what? God gives us the freedom and ability to resist him at least temporarily, to delay things. To, to, it doesn't put God off course, but it doesn't mean we're controlled like automatons in order to fulfill some divine plan, whether we're obedient or not. And the children of Israel, as you know their story throughout the rest of the Old Testament, they were faithless, disobedient, breaking the covenant with God, that's why they ended up in exile, in lonely exile here. Because God said, look, if you follow me, I will bless you. But if you keep denying me, if you keep moving away from me, this will be the consequence. And he is faithful. When we talk of the faithfulness of God, we don't mean that God is committed to meeting my every little whim and comfort need. What we mean is God is faithful to his very nature. He is holy and he's faithful to his promises to keep his word. That's what he's faithful to. We have to fit in with that, not ask God to fit in with my desires um, and, 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 and whims, as it were. So God promised this eternal kingdom, but it was messed up and the, peop and, and the kingdom was broken up. First of all, into two kingdoms, north and south, Israel and, and, and Judah, and then into two, two captivities. First of all, with the Assyrians, and secondly, with the Babylonians, uh, all part of the history of the Old Testament. But in this time, God hasn't forgotten his promises. There is hope in the darkness, and through his prophets, so all those books in the Old Testament like Isaiah, Jeremiah, and the smaller ones that come after that in the Old Testament, they, are, they continue the theme of God's revealing his, his purposes 
which haven't changed for his people and for the world. And during this time, we have an extra element to his promises, not just a kingdom, not just blessing as general as they are, but specifically God promises a son, his Messiah, his chosen one who will come as the bearer of peace, righteousness, and salvation. And so let's look at one of these examples from Isaiah, round about 700 years before Christ. We're going to look at a few verses from Isaiah chapter 9, which you will recognize um, because often they are read quite rightly around Christmas time. So we read this in, in this is Isaiah chapter 9, verse 1 onwards. Nevertheless, so Isaiah, sorry, before I read it, Isaiah is speaking to the people and, and predicting doom for them, basically. You're going you're gonna to be taken off into, into exile because you will not obey God. But nevertheless, he then brings prophecy of comfort and restoration and God's fulfillment. So he says this, nevertheless, that time of darkness and despair will not go on forever. The land of Zebulun and Naphtali will be humbled, but there will be a time in the future when Galilee of the Gentiles, which lies along the road that runs between the Jordan and the sea, will be filled with glory. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. For those who live in a land of deep darkness, a light will shine. Jumping a few verses. For a child is born to us, a son is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His government and its peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all eternity. The passionate commitment or the zeal of the Lord of heaven's armies will make this happen. Oh, hallelujah. Here is hope in the darkness. In the midst, in that time of darkness, Isaiah prophesies, a great light will shine. And you know what? If we go back to verse 1, please, Tim. This very verse is chosen by Matthew in his gospel. In chapter 4, as soon as Jesus comes out of the wilderness, having been tempted for 40 days and 40 nights, it says he left Judah and went to Galilee and went to Capernaum, which is in the land in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali. And Matthew says, and here is Jesus. Here is Jesus fulfilling this very prophecy before your eyes. Oh, Jewish people, wake up and see your Messiah. And Matthew, in his gospel, is at pains to show Jewish people in particular that Jesus is the absolute fulfillment of all the Old Testament promises. In his gospel, there are 38 quotations, references from the Old Testament. 38, far more than any of the other three gospels, because he was writing 
mainly for Jews, to show them, he is your Messiah, he is your king, the fulfillment of the old and the introduction of the, the newness of the kingdom of God. And this phrase, that uh, a time of darkness, a time of darkness comes upon you, when it's translated in Matthew chapter 4, the Greek version of this Hebrew text says, a land, the land over which death cast its shadow. That's how dark a time it was for the people. The land over which death casts its shadow. Doesn't that sort of sound horribly familiar to, to, to the world's situation currently? Even our land? A land over which death casts its shadow? And I wonder, before we just move on and conclude, what darkness is happening in your life, possibly? Has death cast a shadow over your heart? Is there a fear of dying, a fear of sickness that controls you, that limits you? Is there other sorts of darkness that mean the thoughts never go away? That horrible, horrible story this week of the teenager in the States who, who shot others having been given a gun by his father. And the teenager said, I could not make the thoughts go away. There are people in darkness for whom Jesus comes as a great light to liberate. I believe today that if there's an element that, you, that resonates with you in the sense of there's darkness in my life, whether you're a Christian or not, Jesus, the light of the world, is here today to liberate you and shine his light into your heart and dispel that darkness if you come to him in faith and receive humbly. That's the pattern in Scripture. Humble yourselves, resist the devil, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. But you have to do it. You have to humble yourself. You have to resist the devil and his lies, and you have to draw near to God. And we draw near to God, dear ones, as well, by imbibing the Scriptures. In, Ma in Romans 15, we're told a wonderful thing, that the Scriptures are given to us for our hope and encouragement to show us that God always fulfills his promises. Check out the beginning verses of Romans 15 later. It's wonderfully encouraging and a good summary maybe of some of this message this morning. So to finish, how do we, how do we translate this hope? Can you see all of that Old Testament promise, hope in the darkness, looking forward to 
Jesus. We're now in the time of looking back to Jesus, but looking forward to his return. So we're still in between the promise of return and the reality and experience of his presence in that sense, his glory, his return to be king on earth. So what is the hope now for us? How do we access that? I think two things. First of all, we first of all need to all receive Christ as Lord and Messiah. John 1 verse 12, to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Have you become already? Do you know that you are a child of God? Now, if anyone here doesn't know that for sure, or, or you know for certain that you're not, then you can become a child of God today if you receive Christ as your Lord and Savior. Please do that. Please do that. So we, we, we experience hope now by receiving Christ as Lord and Savior, firstly. Secondly, we receive hope now by eagerly awaiting his return, by anticipating his future rule and reign on the earth. You see, we live in a broken world still. Too many people live in darkness, either because of their own deeds or the deeds of other people. Wars, conflicts, greed, depravity, sickness and death. This makes up a lot of our world. But we keep watching, we lift our eyes, we eagerly await the coming king, the one who comes as the light of the world to return in glory one day. This is how the Apostle Paul puts it in Philippians. He says this, but we are citizens of heaven. <laughs> There's a good thought to start with. <laughs> Whatever your passport says, God says, if you belong to me, your primary citizenship, put it that way, is a heavenly passport. We are citizens of heaven, where the Lord Jesus Christ lives, and we are eagerly awaiting his return, his advent, his coming as our Savior. How often we read over a phrase like that, but, but, but do we, brothers and sisters, do we, do I, eagerly await the coming of Jesus. Far too often it's a matter of extreme speculation and fascination for some and utter indifference to others. We're at one end or the other of the spectrum. <laughs> and instead, we need to fix our eyes on Jesus and eagerly await his return not in order to escape the world now, but in order to live a holy, pure, faithful, witness-like life now on earth. 
The Apostle John puts it this way. So that's, that's Paul's version in Philippians 3. In 1 John 3, the Apostle John says here, Dear friends, he put, his, his language is, is different. Dear friends, we are already God's children, but he has not yet shown us what we will be like when Christ appears. Same phrase, at the appearing, at the advent, at the coming of Christ. But we do know that we will be like him, for we will see him as he really is. And all who have this eager expectation will keep themselves pure, just as he is pure. Aha. <coughs> Excuse me. Here's an extra element. The eager expectation is not just about thinking of the future. It's about motivation for the present. If I'm eagerly awaiting a savior, my focus is on his coming rule, I will keep coming Christ. And in that way, our focus will be pure, but our lifestyle will be pure as well. And that's why, that's why we need to not just celebrate the nativity, but anticipate his return. Celebrate as we look back to Christ's birth. Prepare as we look forward. Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus, we celebrate your, your birth in history as fact, reality, and life-changing, history-changing, universe-changing. And we, we look forward to your return. That one, in one generation, whenever that is, one Christmas will be the very last one we celebrate before your return. Lord, we pray now in your name, Lord Jesus, that your entry of light will come to those who feel lost in darkness now, even in this room or watching online. Lord Jesus, light of the world, come and bring your light into any dark heart into people's lives where death has cast its shadow. Lord, bring your life and light and set them free as they turn in simple faith to you. And Lord, we would ask for your grace and Holy Spirit to help us prepare for your return, to live as children of God, loving you and loving one another and reaching out to a dark, lost world. Lord. Grant us to grow in grace and have a pure focus, to grow in grace and have a pure lifestyle, and so represent you accurately to those in need, as well as glorify your name. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Maranatha, come soon, Lord Jesus. Amen. <laughs>